This is episode 223 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Control and Compound Financial. They teach real estate investors how to multiply their wealth using infinite banking strategies. For a complimentary wealth coaching session or to learn more, visit www.controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines. Welcome to episode 223 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have back on the show after a very long time, Sile Jaggi. He was an excellent guest back when I had him on uh, in the first year of the podcast. He was doing really cool things. I had seen him on uh, an article. I forget which publication it was, but it was a larger publication out of Toronto and just talking about how he had amassed this rental portfolio. So I had him on the show and he talked about different areas he was he was working in, how he was starting to develop properties. And uh, now I had him on again and he really has just blossomed as a developer who's very area focused. So Sile focuses on Etobicoke. He knows that municipality. He knows the precedence in that municipality. And he's going into subdivisions or into communities and he's finding, you know, one or two lots side by side. So one specific deal we talked about in this episode, it was two lots side by side that he acquired and he split them into three lots. So what Sile is doing with the lots is he's actually building houses on them. We walked through why not just sell them as lots? So once you subdivide them and do all that work, why not literally just sell them? And he could make a million dollars if he did that. Uh, but what he's what he's gonna do is he's actually gonna build them. And because he does so much building in the area using a general contractor, he gets really great pricing. He gets like volume pricing. He was talking to me about the square foot price he was paying, and uh, it just doesn't even make sense for high-end homes how cheap he's able to do that there. So he's got himself a real niche. It was really cool talking to him, and that's specific deal uh, building was going to double his profit so instead of 1 million it's going to be 2 million um, granted some of these are longer plays but this guy dots his eyes crosses his t's uh, he's a great communicator and he's very driven uh, exactly the type of people I want on this show so so I really appreciated talking to him just before we jump into the episode I want to remind you that this show has been running for four years now more than four years and early on I really focused on the basics in the first 10 20 episodes episodes, um, I broke down, if you knew absolutely nothing about real estate investing and you'd only just thought that you wanted to learn about it, that's how those episodes were structured. So if you find that I'm using language or we're moving quickly through concepts here, take a listen through those first 10 or 20 episodes or watch them on YouTube because I did a lot of screen share, a lot of number sharing. That is going to help solidify your understanding. And then you can come right back up to these uh, these current episodes or you can listen and watch your way all the way through. I know people who do both. Either way, that should be helpful in your journey because we've just had so many great guests on this show. With that said, if you could please like, subscribe, hit the notification bell and share this episode with a friend you think it might help. It'll just help this show to reach more people and continue to grow. So now let's jump into the episode with Sile Joggy. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have on the show for the second time and first time in like four years. Uh, Sile Joggy, and it took me a while to realize that I pronounced it horribly wrong the first time. <laughs> so people can go back and see that. But I uh, appreciate you coming back on. This was always in my head that we were going to get you back on and you reached out. So that's great. Um, man, you do a lot of stuff. I see your updates and uh, you were a great conversation the first time. So thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It was actually an awesome conversation with you I think, four years ago and a lot has happened over four years. So glad to be back. Yeah, you just watched uh, watched it again, right? <laughs> yeah, I saw it just before coming. I'm like, let me yeah. see where we were then, just yeah. to see where we are now. Yeah, you know, it's good to actually like you know even see your own journey in the last four years. What mm -hmm. I was saying, and I know you you know as a conversationalist, you were asking some amazing questions, and one of them being like, where do you see yourself in five years, and all that stuff. So very interesting to see then, and I, I'd yeah. love to share everything else with you today. Awesome. So, Sile, tell me about. Like you watched it. I actually don't even remember what we talked about. I, I remember like what you're up to because you yeah. do a lot of like you were doing new construction developments. Here's what I remember. You were doing new construction developments, like houses and stuff near larger developers areas. So you were yeah. kind of following the larger developers, figuring out where they're spending money and sort of leeching off of their success yeah. <laughs> in a really smart way. Mm -hmm. um, has the model changed? Tell me what's new. Give me the scoop. Yeah. So um, I think back in the day, 2000. 18, we talked about development and what's your strategy to pick the right properties. And one of the factors that I was looking at amongst many was the fact that where are the large developers going and buying mm -hmm. land, right? Because they obviously spend quite a bit amount of money into their research and development. And 
a lot of the stuff mm-hmm. where you know the pockets that i've picked for myself which is south etobicoke which is very close to the water close to the highways i've also seen larger mm-hmm. developers going by massive amounts of land like i don't know if you know about mm-hmm. lakeview that little pocket south of lakeshore so they've there's been you know almost 50 acres of land sold to like bigger developers and stuff like that that's right uh, it's right next to etobicoke it's like lakeview it's that yeah. little pocket between Etobicoke and Port Credit. Port, yes, I actually know that area. Uh, I believe Carmen developed a commercial mixed use in, right in that area. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome neighborhood coming up a lot. But these is one of the trends that I will try and follow, which is like, hey, like where is gentrification happening from a smaller level yeah. in, a, in a neighborhood? But also one of the indications I'll always look at is where are the large developers going and buying property? And I think anything near the lakeshore, close to the water and highways is just prime time land and very underdeveloped. Well, and isn't it, well, for one, you can look at the the city's official plan, right? Mm -hmm. Even if zoning's not there, do they, like, what's the plan with these areas according to, like, and I'm sure these developers are getting plan amendments, Mm -hmm. but generally speaking, these probably weren't originally targeted for for intensification. Yeah, because currently they're industrial and I don't think anybody foresaw the amount of growth the city has seen, right? An obvious problem right now is the supply Mm -hmm. and there are areas which are very unproportionately developed based like if you look at areas in the west or further east there is land that is unproportionately underdeveloped Mm -hmm. right like you have acres and acres of land waterfront land sitting in a lot large parts of toronto that is back in the day was used as industrial Mm -hmm. because again nobody had that vision to see that toronto will ever reach like that to that and with that speed right so you now have a lot of those land being targeted Mm -hmm. by developers but you also have that innate support coming from the government as the agenda is changing to increase supply. Mm-hmm. So I think the process of larger developers who have, I guess, means to deal with the bureaucracy better and have that connections politically, yeah. I'm assuming, to get those Grease the right palms. Exactly. <laughs> so, it, I mean, bureaucracy is just inevitable at this point, right? There's just, yeah. you know, larger developers have that play where they can come in and have a little bit more influence over getting these approvals and like, you know, mid or small size developer. Right. And so it makes a lot of sense for a smaller guy like you in the grand scheme, like you're not, you know, you're course, not going to yeah. be one of these massive developers where well, you could be one day, but right now it makes sense to just, okay, they're, they're greasing wheels and getting things done. Um, I'll just, I'll just go to those areas and that yeah. way I can likely get caught in the rezone if they're going to rezone a certain pocket of, you know, land. Um, and then you can benefit from that. That and uh, and precedents. If there's more, so they're setting a precedent for a rezone. So no, you can say, so well, they what did it. Does, it. It helps the smaller developers to go and justify their. Let's say for a guy like me, what yeah. I'm doing a lot now is trying to buy four or five lots next to each other, and I'm trying to either propose townhouses or I'm buying three lots and cutting them into like four semi-detached or three semi-detached. That requires okay. a zoning change. That requires land to be cut further. Having larger development within the same area gives you that precedence of larger density. And so you can just easy. say, well, they did it just around the corner. They took this land and intensified exactly. it. Exactly. So it's just like in court cases for precedent, you can say, well, in exactly. development cases. Precedence, precedence is one of the most important factors when you're applying for a zoning change, especially when you're increasing density, right? Re- so, okay. So that's why some municipalities say we don't do spot rezones. And their big reason for that is they probably have a precedent that they don't. Exactly. Whereas I know... Uh, one of my former students in Windsor, he took uh, he took houses and spot rezoned them, and Windsor was okay with that because there's precedence. Yeah, their precedent. Or was you there. start yeah. a precedence and you follow it, right? Yeah. Because and usually it's the larger guys that will set the yeah. precedence because they have the ability to. Yeah, the the grease the right, exactly. grease the right palms. Take somebody on a vacation to the Dominican Republic. <laughs> um, you know, like there's obviously. I think it's Jamaica, but it was it. <laughs> Fly them in a private helicopter. Um, you know, like just uh, there's there's obviously uh, like you look at all these politicians in the U.S. and how their net worths grew like hundreds yeah. of millions while they were in office, and like gee whiz, I wonder how that happened. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Like yeah. sometimes you would be surprised that there's like I would say counselors are in a very good position of power, right? They have one of the most strongest power yeah. because they and they're are directly connected to the community. So, exactly. you know, and Ju- municipality. Judy down the street can say, hey, uh, Kim, like I have a beach house yeah. in, uh, in 
Grand Bend. What do you think about going up there for a weekend? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the councillors are a lot less in the spotlight. Yeah, and they are in a lot stronger position with the city officials, right? Like the planning department. So you're saying they can talk to the planning and department. Forestry. People, They're people here really want this. I, I think you should say yes. Planning, parks and forestry, transport. Who they really need to influence is the committee, though, right? Because even if the city officials. Uh, support something. Hi friends, I just wanted to take a moment away from the episode to tell you about my brand new structured coaching program. This is the first time I've ever offered a structured coaching program where we'll have regular meetings in addition to an intro call uh, to go through what your goals are and help you get on a plan to achieve those goals within real estate. So if you followed me for some time and you feel that I would be a fit for you to help you achieve your goals in real estate based on my skill set, based on the topics we cover on this show, I encourage you to head over to my website, andrew-hines.com forward slash coaching and fill out the questionnaire so that we can schedule a call and figure out if it's a fit for us to work together. Let's face it, most people could benefit from a second set of eyes and ears going over their strategies, different deals that they're looking at, and helping to springboard ideas back and forth. This is a program that's exactly for that. So if you're looking to build confidence in what you're doing in real estate investing and get very clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish, this might just be the program for you. Take a moment, fill out that questionnaire, and let's schedule a chat. So say all like the planning department supports it, mm -hmm. but if the committee shoots it down, let's say if you're going for a minor variance, this committee gets involved in a zoning change Absolutely. too, right? Absolutely. So it start, all starts with committee and then yeah. they had the T-Lab, which was an idiotic system. And now they've changed the third party appeals to T-Lab. So everything goes to committee of adjustments and T-Lab, which is the appeal board. That's the appeal for all of Ontario, right? Correct. And okay. there was a lot of, uh, like I would say, frivolous appeals being done by third parties, which is like a neighbor can just pay $300 and appeal your decision at Committee of Adjustments, uh, okay. which I think by Bill 3023 is now abolished. There's no third party appeals. Yeah. So it makes smaller developers a little bit more ease where they're like only the relevant people, which is most likely the city, transport of works and forestry can go and appeal your de approved yeah. decision at Committee of Adjustments. So committee approves you, one of those parties doesn't like it, they can appeal it. Yes, and yeah. usually they will put their comments in committee and then they're yeah. saying, hey, we're recommending denial and the committee still approves it, they yeah. can go and appeal it. So they, they ask, okay. So let's just walk people through because if they haven't been through this process, let's give them a high level view of sure. what it looks like. If you wanna go and find a piece of land, talk to me about the process, who gets a say For sure. and, and how that all flows through and how you protect yourself in the process. Yeah, so last four years, I've as I wanted to be get into development, I have gone double feet into development. It's a process that I really enjoy and I feel like at this point, dealing with uh, you know a house that is on the lake, which had to be dealt with conservation authority, dealing with parks and forestry, dealing with transport, dealing with planning department, working with an architect in the same office and working with planners. I almost consider myself like a half planner now, right? Yeah. Because you learn their language. Exactly, yeah. I've learned the language of zoning and difficult neighbors who have really opposed me on every level and going to T-Lab has obviously made me even further learn more about the business. And Wasn't you know it called LPAT before? Is that uh, It was ONB before. So it was OMB and now it's T-Lab? T-Lab, Toronto Local Appeal Body. Oh, Toronto Local Appeal. And so then maybe it's LPAT? different. Yeah, LPAT's probably outside of Toronto maybe. That's right, yeah. yeah so, okay. L, uh, so just as a process, what I can do is I can start from the top. You obviously all starts at the conception level, which is like you're trying to look for a piece of land and you're looking to develop the land and most likely you're looking for a zoning change because you want to increase the density of that land because it's far from its highest and best use, yeah. right? That's your first agenda. Like you look at a land, is it far from highest and highest in band use? Is it even close to where the density can potentially be? Mm -hmm. So my first step is always do your due diligence as to like what you can potentially build on this. Yeah. There's never a black and white. There's always a gray area because it all comes with a proposal and the proposals have to be discussed with planning. And so you start with planning pretty much. I start with planning before buying But you, you were at a point now where you have some idea of what precedents will exactly. work. So this is why you're looking around. And I think this is the most obvious and simple explanation people could have. Like if you saw something just happen, then odds are it probably could happen again. Yes, and at the same time, it's not just that my like, okay, so let's take a neighborhood, for example, a neighborhood, this has happened, but you can also sometimes argue the precedence on a neighboring neighborhood. Like if yeah. you're in South Etobicoke, you got four districts, which is Mimico, Long Branch, Alderwood, and, uh, and uh, New Toronto. 
okay. if something has happened in W06 in a different neighborhood, you could argue the same in the so, other. So as long as That's it's within one of that the municipality. Exactly. But Etobicoke, is that its own municipality? That's right. It is. So it's fully amalgamated with Toronto, but it's its own municipality. Yes. Okay. So you're still dealing with a mo uh, Etobicoke. That's right. Okay. And that's the benefit, right, Andrew? I haven't stepped out of my own comfort zone of Etobicoke because I have you learned. You know that market. I try to focus on one neighborhood and become the master of that. And I Smart. think at this point, it's very simple for me, a process that would typically take somebody thousands of dollars to get research done and you potentially even take two to three months to get an answer whether or not this land that I'm about to buy for millions of dollars and propose this, is there a chance, is there a good chance that I will get an approval? I can yeah. do that in minutes. Yeah. Because I already have all that knowledge. If I so was bouncing know. from yeah, and you would know the precedents within Etobicoke because that's that's who you're up against. The that's planners, right. the planners are in Etobicoke. The committee is in Etobicoke. Uh, exactly, and you're dealing with the neighborhoods and the people that you probably even the counselors right. you probably that's are right. aware of them. That's right? right. I know the counselors. I know a lot of people, not personally, but at the same time, like I know where they think, and I know how the neighbors think, and I know how the neighborhood associations think, yeah. and I know the pros and cons of like I know the zoning inside out. I know the precedents of committee yeah. adjustments inside out, and I'm selling in the area. And I have access yeah, to so sellers who are it. selling their properties in the area. Yeah. So it's all very, I would say, connected. Yeah, right? because you know you know you know your market, and in in what you're doing, that makes perfect sense. Um, so to focus in on, yeah, it. and going back to conception, which is the most important part, you're able to then dissect the fact that this is a piece of land. This is what the zoning says. This is what the precedence is, and all the other fun stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you can do your due diligence in terms of like what is the land worth, and. Mm -hmm. Sometimes even the seller and on the other people who can't determine the precedence and what you can potentially take this to as a highest and best use, mm -hmm. they don't know the worth of the land themselves. Right. And therefore I think that would you can, be very common. Exactly. And therefore you can sometimes pick up properties that to a naked eye could look like a market value. To me is way undervalued. Right. Just based on knowing what you can do. Exactly. Are you ever buying like one lot that's just big enough to to subdivide and and do a bunch of houses. Absolutely, on. I'm doing it all over right now. So right yeah. now, like, and I'm the funny thing is now because of like just my nature of like you know micromanaging this whole process and learning it. I'm representing myself at Committee of Adjustments. Last approval I got was myself, which is a 35 foot lot and a 40 foot lot that are next to each other, and we just split them into three 25 foot lots. And three, I just got an approval and one okay. shot at Committee of Adjustments. Right, so we bought a house. Bought the house. Was next that to conforming it. to zoning, or did uh, you get a zoning change? It was. It was uh, a zoning change, hundred percent. But there was a lot of precedence to argue that because mm -hmm. the other houses on the street, there were twenty-five foot existing lots on the street. So right? you're you're saying precedent is the existing, like just what's there, not even decisions, but like, existing plus decisions. Yeah, combination of okay. the lots being twenty-five foot. Like, lots. is there neighborhoods in Hamilton? Yeah, where. Every single lot is 25 foot wide, but the zoning says you must have a minimum of like 30 to build. Like because I've seen this, I've gone through their zoning map and I'm like, that makes no sense. Like literally every single house on the street doesn't conform to zoning. So first of all, 25 should be conforming, 30 shouldn't because you need minimum 25 foot lot to put a garage in the front and have a proper entrance. Yeah. You also have to sort of like coincide it with building code. Right. Yeah. You also have to coincide with building code to the point where you're looking at side yard setbacks, front yard setbacks. Yeah. How the design. Otherwise, they have to like fireproof the walls, which I'm assuming in Toronto is very common. Right. Like, because you're so close to your neighbors, you just got to yeah. fireproof your walls. This process yeah. has so much that goes into it. And that's the fun part, because once you learn it, you can truly look at a property and now say this is undervalued, overvalued and you can. It makes, it makes so much sense what you're saying. Like focus on your areas. Like I've only focused on a couple areas in my real estate career. And like- It's your niche. You gotta learn those areas, how they function, especially if you're dealing with cities and development and- It's your niche. Stuff. Yeah. That's it. You point your niche, you focus all yeah. your energy in that niche and you will find value, force value out of it. Yeah. Right? And it's economies of scale because imagine now doing four projects or five projects versus one and who you have, you can almost hire a contractor as an employee versus paying, like let's say you're paying 250 to $300 a square foot to build, but now you have four projects within 500 meters and you hire the same supervisor, your economies of scale play in. Yeah, the supervisor comes down. Now you can just float between the different sites and- Cost of construction, economies of scale, your time efficiency, your distance to travel to work, your expertise, your niche, you attracting investors in that area, you farming that area as a real estate agent, all of that goes yeah. into one efficient basket that you're just going more and more and you almost take over the area.
right? Yeah, like everybody knows and you in the then, area probably, right? And then in a few years, as you said, maybe I'll be there one day. If I ever become a large developer in the area, I think I'm hoping to get there one day. That's where I'll do it because I already have everything and all my infrastructure set up in that yeah. one area to do it. And it's not like you're at risk of population just not being there. You're you're in the GTA and the like thick of it. That's like, right. Like the, I mean, you talked a lot about like, is this a good area? Like, I mean, I think it's a no brainer that it's a good area. It's a question of will, will the municipality allow you to intensify, to develop the, that land into what you want it to be? Well, I think they don't have a choice because yeah. Etobicoke compared yeah. to the different neighborhoods of Toronto, if you look at North York, if you it's look like at West Side, it's, it's a lot larger lots compared yeah. to if you go to Leslieville, Leeside, there's already yeah. land at a larger scale available in Tobico and density is very, very low compared to the other so, areas. So you could go to a street that has 40 foot lots all the way down and you could approach two different owners, pick up, like 80. conditionally no negotiate to pick up their 280, take it to the committee, subdivide it into three and then close. Oh yeah, or do four, four semis or just take that 40 foot lot and eventually there already are precedents of a 45 foot lot Turning being into converted two. into semis is already happening. Oh, 40 foot into two. Okay. So currently yeah. the precedence I would say is 50 foot lots cut into two twenty no five. So it's probably pretty darn but hard 45s, to find the 50s. But 45s, you can cut into two, two semis. Two semis, a 45 foot lot. Correct. Are you able to find a, like, is this as simple as you like thinking, okay, I want to go pick up another project and you just pull up the map, say, okay, I can approach these owners. Do you just call up the owners? That's or? it. I have door knockers in the area. I have, yeah. I door knock myself in the area yeah. sometimes if the targeted lot is yeah. there. I have data up to the point where I know the lot size of each and every street as a precedent. So I will have door knockers farming that area. Even yeah, more. You, you know the streets you want. Plus, I'm sure if you're 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 are you like geo farming areas for your real estate business? Absolutely. So they're already calling you and anyway. Everything goes hand in hand. <laughs> every they're already calling because you anyway. One side is your investor. Yeah. The other like, OK, so if you look at the conception, where is the money coming from in my life? Yeah. Where is my income generation? That's my real estate business. Yeah. I'm providing fantastic values to my investors mm -hmm. because they have an edge because I'm giving that same value that I'm doing for myself to them. Yeah. Right. So You're that's my them find that's what creates that my subdivide. And, exactly. Yeah. My income goes into my investments mm -hmm. and my investments turn into developments, which is my exit plan. Yeah. So everything is tied up. I still yeah. need income, which is why I sell and yeah. I still take my income and invest because I'm still an investor. I want to keep increasing my inventory to build. Mm. And eventually my exit plan, when the numbers make sense and I have now achieved the highest and best use through planning, yeah. that's my exit plan. And the only difference is that back in the day, I was also focusing on like, hey, I want to create passive income streams. It's it's very discouraging right now, right? Yeah, because talk me through that because I mean, we should do a recap on on sort of, you know, your Coles notes, how you even got to this point. Because I think you were in school for something professional. Was that right? I was an investment. I went to school for a finance and then I was an investment banker before. Investment banker, in okay. In Wall Street, then I moved back. Yeah. And I've been doing this since 2010, 14 years now. Okay, and where, like, were you born in Canada? No, I was born in Delhi, India. I came here when I was 17 as Delhi, a student. India. Yeah, I wouldn't know that. Like, he's, yeah. you have no accent that I can aware of. Maybe, maybe you do a little, I don't know. I have a little, if I can put it on for you, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I, I, I went to an English school. Like, yeah. it was a British school. It was like a yeah. boarding school I went to. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, more than half my life is now in, in Canada, right? I came yeah. here when I was 17. I'm 36 now. So it's like, yeah, I, I've, I still... I don't know. I guess I don't have an accent as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they got the Canadian accent. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so so you you went through the iBanking path. Obviously, that's nonsense. Uh, sorry for any iBankers that that listen. It is. I don't. I don't mean to say that you can't love that career and you choose it because you love it. But as a as a stress pattern, oh my god! Like people who do that business, yeah, like, it, it doesn't look great. I was me. working yeah. six to nine. Yeah. People say nine to six. It's six to nine in banking. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I was working. But to keep in mind, 2008, prior to the banking crash in US, that was the thing to do. As a student, you would have known. That's another thing, right? As a conversation or another oh, day that they ask you to pick a career. I was in business school and that's like, everybody was like, oh, banking, banking, banking. Be bankers and like, yeah. you were like garbage if you didn't get one of those it's jobs. It's the most, uh, I would say people do it for the glamour, but there is no, there's There is no glamour. There. It's a, it's a false. It's uh, a brainless job too. It's like a as false. Much as people uh, think. Unless hope. you're very much on the top on the sell side, it's more or less just a, you're a just robot. Just a grind. Yeah. Because they'll only take, like, they would only take, like, the top 10% of the class at Ivy. That's it. Which is already, like, the most competitive single space I've ever been in. Yeah, and don't <laughs> get me wrong. Like, I yeah. got the dream job right out, yeah. right? I was going to New York. I was working in Wall Street, so I had all yeah. the fun stuff, but it didn't resonate with me. Came back, and I wanted a sales job. I'm like, I'm not going to an office. I'm not wearing a suit. 
I want a sales job. Yeah. And I got right into corporate sales with Nestle and that's when I started buying real estate. Yeah. And then how long ago did you quit that? So two, three years into while working with Nestle and buying properties on the side, I decided to transition as a real estate agent, which was also a sales job, just by mm -hmm. meeting a lot of sheer incompetent real estate agents. I'm like, might as well just get my own license to buy myself. Because you'll know better, yeah. I'll know better. And again, like I get very OCD about like my work, right? I start mm -hmm. micromanaging people and I know that's a flaw of me that I need to mm -hmm. start delegating more. But everything I do, I start doing it more yeah. and more and then the person who's working for me gets overwhelmed i'm like don't worry i'll get my own license and now the same yeah. thing happened with planner don't worry i'll take care of this myself and yeah. i'm not half planner myself i think that there's a good and bad to it a is a lot of work and b yeah. is that you end up learning everything so now oh the knowledge is so worth exactly it. yeah so it's like i can't stop the brain then when it starts getting yeah. into that right so which is a good thing because now i feel like there was a lot of stress and at the time i'm like man why am i doing this myself i'm not a planner but now i know a lot Beautiful. so Okay, so I get the feeling that you're a little like me and that you just kind of cute it, that your brain just keeps going. Like for me, my brain is always going. Just like a million shut, miles and it won't stop. And and it's very challenging sometimes because yeah. I'll I'll go down like philosophical rabbit holes. Like I just like Same. For me, I want to understand the meaning of life. Oh, and also same. do business and do really well. <laughs> Andrew, 100% the same. 1 a.m., yeah. 100% the same. Yeah. Like I, I jump from one thing to another. It's hard to shut the brain. So yeah, do you have any tactics? Because for me, it's actually like very challenging. I, I was talking to my wife about this the other night. I'm like, for me, like it just won't stop. Like, I'm like <laughs> it actually is like, it's kind of sad. Like I, I wish it wasn't like, because I'd actually probably be way more effective if it didn't do that. Right. I think it's impossible for us to, one thing is, and I've talked to a professional about this as well, where, you know, I'm like, you know what? I'm not depressed in any way. I'm not doing it, but I'm stressed, right? Mm -hmm. And stress can really overwhelm you and take over your life yeah. completely where you consciously know that, you know, you're trying to get out of work, you can't get out of work, everything is priority, what do I not do in my day? Mm -hmm. It's very difficult, especially when you're jumping from one thing to another. So I think to one thing that I've learned and I think I've really accepted is that I don't think all stress is bad stress and you shouldn't stress there's about stressing. Some good, there's some good stress, yeah. Because stress makes people like us productive oh, yeah. and it keeps us in line with our ambition. It's when it gets into this fear and anxiety that turns That's right. bad, right? You can have stress like, oh, I gotta get this done. I think it's yeah. it's a constant challenge to just try and wake up every single day and make sure that we're dedicating enough time, one or two hours to ourselves, right? Like yeah. going for a run, going for a swim, going and meditating. Like, yeah. I think that part just consciously has to be forced into our life. Yeah, I'm gonna have to start doing that at lunch, I figure. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have, I have a, you know, 16 month old and yeah. uh, mornings like I'm on, I'm on, you know duty and then <laughs> at night i'm on duty and then it's like after i get them down at 7 30 yeah it's just like the last thing i want to do is like after we're done cleaning up go to the gym yeah but that's it's either that or do it in the middle of the day that's right it's a it's yeah. a battle all the time right yeah. and one of the questions you'll always ask yourself is you know you buy people's time and you hire more people right yep. and uh that's also something that i've tried focusing on is to like reduce the load that i don't need to absolutely yeah. do knowing that that's not never going to be perfect but he's still going to yeah. get done right. and a lot of my sales business mm -hmm. is now more going into delegation because my focus yeah. is like you know i can't delegate as, as an investor i can't hire an employee to pick properties i can't hire somebody to like you know look into development and stuff like that but uh another thing about development is that i'm absolutely not trying to be a general contractor I want to stick to being a developer. Now, did you do that in the past though? I feel like you did GC some stuff. I GC'd and uh, to the point, and even now to a point that I know enough on site what's happening. Like yeah. I can know each and every step of construction that's happening, mm -hmm. but I still don't think that there's, there's still quite a bit that I don't know from a framing aspect, from an engineering so aspect. are you hiring general contractors Absolutely. Now? Okay. So I consider myself a developer, not a general contractor, and there's a big difference. Huge difference, and, I, and I've stressed this so many times on this podcast, so, uh, but it's such a difference. Massive difference. I, I would rather be the developer, quite 100%. frankly. Being like a guy who literally owns a general contracting company and yeah. does that, you know, for a, an active income strategy, um, it isn't really that fun. Like, it's a people management thing, and, and coming with my brain that never stops, uh, thinking, it doesn't like thinking about the same thing. It likes to evolve. And and when I do the same task, um, my natural tendency is to want to delegate. Like I'll do it so many times until I'll be like, this is just annoying me. Exactly. And, uh, and then I'll just want to delegate that. So I think for you, like the obvious progression is 
you download your brain and what you're looking for into your door knockers into you know potentially them, you know yeah. somebody who who is literally going to serve it up on a platter to you and say go to the committee exactly and then you know here's everything here <laughs> um you know that's obviously i i think in your future as you go to um you know become that big developer yeah and i think we're also blessed to be in an industry that has a lot of different spectrums to it right so you yeah. get and if you look at like sales interaction with clients negotiation of contracts preparing it prepare yeah. so there's things you can pick out of that that align with your passion mm -hmm. so uh, my passion within real estate mainly is either i'm doing client facetime mm -hmm. or i'm doing development those yeah. are the two things i truly enjoy yeah and now everything else that I don't enjoy, which is like, let's say leasing or forms or yeah. general contracting, which is bickering with trades all day and making sure yeah. everything is done properly. I have tried to remove myself out of that. Yeah. And that stuff Same. can be delegated. Well, you can delegate, and there's more than one. There's insourcing and outsourcing, right? There's outsourcing to a GC. There's insourcing, like you literally just hire a uh, like a top-notch uh, site supervisor, yeah. ops manager, like, and then you can kind of accomplish the same thing. That's right. Uh, and that's what I've done. To. I have a GC who's doing multiple projects for me within Etobicoke, local guy. is also a super smart guy, also mm -hmm. developer that he does things on his own. Mm -hmm. And he's building my own personal house right now. So I trust him enough. Right. Yeah. So that part is outsourced. And that wasn't easy to find the right one either. Because there's a I lot of nonsense, stupid GCs out there. And there's a lot of bullshit going on in the industry where you're getting ripped off by contractors. There yeah. not being any consequences as a contractor. Well, that's that's the big thing. So you have to be very yeah. very selective in who you work. This with, is right? this is what I went through in Florida, and I knew this. Still so coming from the industry, mm -hmm. like I know, like you have to assume you can't trust people. That's like that's my starting point. Especially me, in construction. Call me cynical. Actually, yeah. I pretty much in everything, especially <laughs> politicians. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, I just look at it and I I I just say. Unless, you know, there was a time where people had more like deeply rooted values and and those values showed through like you could leave your door unlocked and people wouldn't, you know, wouldn't steal. Like my dad used to like we'd be in the church parking lot. He'd open up somebody's door and shut their lights off for them. Like that was the communities I grew up. Children in. go into other people's home, open their fridge and have a glass of milk. It's not a big deal. Oh, we used you, to have the neighbor you, kid come to into that. our house. Same here. Yes. Yeah. Like that was the, what I grew up in. Not not the way anymore. Uh, but I think it made me a little naive because I grew up in those communities. And then I went out into the, the real world and I saw that people will, will look you in the eye and play victim as they steal from you. 100%. So knowing that. I started looking for people who had something to lose if right. they if they screwed it's with very me. smart and uh that works i found an amazing gc in florida and that's uh, awesome i know you're like doing some stuff with gc like florida as well like a, yeah yeah that's that's a lot of people are and i think the obvious transition is because yeah. of the lot of they they choke you in this country right you're oh, like it's, it's like i'm starting direction. to feel that and that's exactly what i was trying to tell you i'm yeah. going away from passive income yeah into exit strategies as exit a strategies i rather yeah, do things project-based yeah and watch how it plays out yeah. rather because being a landlord in this market i can't handle it anymore yeah being a landlord in this market uh, i mean of course like if you choose like you've made your profession development so if you want to become an expert landlord you can do that like there are there's always strategies even within the system like the the new updates they've made to, to strengthen tenant rights i went through it it's it, it's very manageable uh, still but it's the problem is the progress towards something and that's very negative for i'm for not Canadians. opposed to laws as much yeah. or the actual you know manual of okay this is what landlord and tenant acts says it's the enforcement yeah give the tenants their rights I'm not here to tell you that tenants shouldn't have any rights right mm -hmm. but what about the enforcement of landlord rights yeah there's no enforcement i can tell and no. i'm managing 42 tenants yeah. right now within my you know 17 properties a couple yeah. of them being commercial mixed use multis 42 tenants that get managed through my office, no property manager, we do it in our office. So I sometimes get very hands-on with these tenants. Mm -hmm. And you have all the laws and we can go around saying that you're not allowed to do that, but who's enforcing it? Yeah, No one enforcing it. And that's the that's the stupidity and that's where there's a multi-dimensional problem mm -hmm. with our landlord and tenant board or with our municipality or with that tribunal. Mm -hmm. And it's a huge concern because on one side, you think that these laws, and I think they're meant as a political agenda to like show the people that, hey, landlords are greedy and landlords are bad. And that's usually a broader spectrum of yeah. saying, and tenants are good and tenants are more. But I don't think it's helping anyone because no. currently supply is the biggest problem. 
So if a landlord is taking a house, which is unlivable, yeah. turning that into two units, providing housing for this as a solution, and that's the very person that's getting squeezed and has yeah. no rights to They're be gonna protected. They're going to stop doing it. You're going to discourage the very person who's solving the problem. Which and I've seen in large portion because I took my skills south and... I can't tell you how many people I know, like they message me. They're like, hey, I'm down there. You want me to look at your properties? Like we're picking stuff up. Like it's happening in large yeah. number from sophisticated investors, people who have been in it for a while. Like, why would I want to grow in this place? Like I, I can- It's I can, very sad. The grass is actually greener. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's not just the view of it looking greener. Throughout the year as well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, weather, very right? much so. You know, now it's in rainy season. So yeah, yeah it's, you know, a little brown on the front, but it's-, it's No pun be, intended. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, obviously the distance is, is uh, yeah. a little challenging. Like I, I generally am never involved, but now I have, I have two that are done That's and getting listed. And so I, I wanted to hire a really good photographer and get virtual staging done. So I send the photographer to the house this morning and then there was somebody from the general contractor there um, putting in uh, the shutters because they forgot before. And uh he uh, tried to pick a fight with my photographer because the photographer's like, I can't let you in. I don't know who you are. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I had the code and like, like I slapped his That's hand hilarious. away from the lockbox. So I'm like, how am I involved in this <laughs> from uh, from many miles away? But um, yeah, that all, all got reserve, uh, resolved. And that's very, very rare. That would that would right. never normally happen. But uh, you know, just the point is like, that's what my life used to look like. It was constantly that. And, and when things really get going at the project I'm working on right now as a GC, that very stuff comes off. back. That's why I started like sort of building out the company where I had the site super and the ops manager between me and the site super so that I wouldn't get the call. Amazing. The ops manager would. And you realize as you delegate to competent professionals or outsource mm -hmm. to competent professionals, how much that frees up your time to really try to like focus on the bigger picture. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. you need free time. You and do. that ties into people where you yeah. and me need that stress to be managed. If you leave me alone for like three or four days or if I'm on a vacation where I'm truly away from work, yeah. the ideas I come back with is just insane. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised at myself. I'm like, why didn't I think of that before? Because I'm too fucking busy <laughs> yeah. doing other things all the time. Yeah. So <laughs> that's that's super valuable information. And I would say like for anybody who's got a weekly schedule where like, free your mind, you've got like blocks on your schedule. Find out what things you're doing on a weekly basis that somebody else could do because that's time you'll replace it with something but with any luck exactly. it'll be either family time something that enriches you physical you know exercise uh ideas or creative or create. yeah like create. creative time yeah. um or like you know i was like so stupidly not having a, a, a an assistant not having a, a proper video Game editor changer, yeah. like i had editors that helped me but i still was the final touch and i would i would you know create the final product as soon as i got rid of that the amount of time i bought back into it's my insane. life. Yeah. Um, the constant balance, especially yeah. if you are a control freak at work, I wouldn't say control freak, but like somebody who likes to have control over and the And that outcome. would always be, right? Especially if you're in the client business and serving the client business and you're really, even really focused on making yeah. sure, you know, that that person comes back with a positive outcome, mm -hmm. you're naturally going to be very controlling on certain parts of the business, but it's important to take that step back and focus on that bigger picture, mm -hmm. right? So. Yeah. Yeah. You got to, I, I think that, uh, the challenge you're talking about though, a lot of people in the real estate biz as realtors get like, they feel the same for sure. Like how, how do I delegate? You know, no one's going to speak to my clients the way I want to speak. Exactly. In, in a way that's true. But I think that like anything, like you, you attract, like, especially with the content you put out, you're probably going to start attracting people or have even got inquiries from people who are like very yeah. on the same page as you last two or three years, I would yeah. say, take out the ongoing referrals that I have with current clients, past client referrals, I mean. Mm -hmm. Social media stands to be the biggest lead generator for me as a realtor. And yeah. uh, and that's because I I guess people resonate with me from the fact that this guy's an investor himself. And now that I- But the don't they wanna work with you? I feel like you'd get all kinds of people that just wanna work with you. Yeah, you could just say. All the time. But they probably wanna work, learn, and then go do it themselves. Rather yeah. than work and be your like partner in, in real estate. Yeah, so partners, yeah. I always, like I, I stay away from partnership unless it's a person who's a seasoned investor, unless it's a person who kind of understands but how But what about as like works. realtors, like in your real real estate business? Um, I decided to go away from the team. And I think it's also because you end up managing more the team. And I also think mm -hmm. that the person you're gonna naturally attract in a team who wants to be a part of a team with a senior agent comes at a certain age, age group, right? Like where you have 
newer agents wanting mm-hmm. to join senior agents, right? Right. And it comes back to your cultural, like how people, I feel like the generation that I'm end up going to mentor and make part of the Ming brand and expect mm-hmm. that same level of values and same level of service for them. Yeah. The amount of time I will spend on training that person. It's a lot. So I'd rather just do it yeah. myself and I'd rather increase the team through employees. I think that's a smarter way to do it. And it also yeah. keeps my focus on where I need to be through so development. So you'll still do the stuff with the clients, but then everything else could be sort of exactly. handled. And yeah. again, I don't call myself a master of everything. I, mm-hmm. so my Instagram will never say I'll lease, buy, and do everything for you everywhere. It's very focused. So now right? you're just focused in your area. So like you're not even outside of Etobicoke exactly. anymore. And you can, yeah. I'm barely outside of Etobicoke. Yeah. And if I do get a client, it's either luxury home, which I will spend the time to go. Mm-hmm. And if it's somebody who's like, hey, I want to buy a condo downtown, I outsource. I refer deals. Yeah, you probably have somebody you trust. I have so, a referral network. So that's the other thing I wanted to ask you a question of. So you refer, like, do you find that you can trust them? Like, you know, because I think if you refer out, you get 25% of the commission? Yes, 25 to 30, depending yeah. on what you can negotiate. And yeah. I don't just blindly go on the internet and trust them. I meet them, I have a coffee with them, yeah. and I tell them the gig that I'm getting leads that are outside of my area that I don't have the time to attend to. Mm-hmm. This is my expectation. This is the this is how the process yeah. will work. And you have to find the right fit. It's like yeah. you're hiring an accountant or hiring a GC. It's the yeah. same process. Yeah. You hire an agent where yeah. who you can trust worthily and then you get that feedback from the client. And if that yeah. feedback is good, you get more. Mm-hmm. So you've tried and I've tried right, and tested yeah. that. In Vaughan, in Waterloo, I've got amazing, like in Peterborough, I've got one of the best agents in See, Peterborough as awesome. a good partner. That's awesome. And I do the same thing for them. Now they start coming back to me. Sile, I have this client, it's too technical. He's looking for a land to build, can he help? And it's a two-way referral system and it's efficient, yeah. right? Yeah. But the minute you start saying, I'm gonna do everything for you. and No, nah, it's do, not wise. You can't. You have yeah. to be a master of something instead of like, you know. The nice thing with what you're saying, I guess if you meet them, they look polished. You're probably looking for a, a certain number of things, right? Like how they're presenting even on their online profiles. Do they look professional? I can professional? give you the list now. <laughs> it's a very specific yeah, what do you, list. What do, do I look for in a yeah. referral agent? Yeah. Number one, they have to be a specialist of something. Yeah. They can't just be the same gig where it's like, I have the time, I'll do anything you need. No. Yeah. Are you so a specialist at downtown condos? Yeah. Let's say we take that for an example. Yeah. Like he he lives downtown. He's available downtown. He's done enough business. He or she has done enough business downtown. And yeah. uh, they have provided enough results to say that they're hungry at the same. So they're in the 100 to 200 range. And you can look that up online. Easily, yeah. You yeah. find out like how much business you've done. Three or yeah. four years of experience minimum. So you have the, the, the expertise that I can trust you with the negotiation mm-hmm. process and the forums and everything else. Yeah. And uh, again, somebody who specializes in condos downtown. So I'll ask them like, you know, can you name a few buildings that have good status and bad status certificates? And then they're like, they give you the list and you go back and you check and you'll know the answer this person. Yeah, if they, if they don't hesitate on that question, you know that. Exactly. Yeah. Somebody comes to me and asks me like, hey, can you tell me something about Otobiko? I'll completely open that book. I'm looking for that same level of, yeah. I specialize. for example, I work with an amazing agent in Peterborough. Right? So somebody, I was just going to ask you, how do you specialize in Peterborough? I mean, you can, student This guy is like, closing, he's a diamond yeah. agent, closing a million dollars a year. His name is Alkit. He's one of the best agents in Peterborough. Yeah. And he's been my partner for the last five years. Somebody comes to me and says, I want to buy a detached bungalow for 600, 700,000. And I tell them, okay, let's look at some areas. Based on the options of the areas, they'll pick the area, I'll connect them to that agent in that neighborhood that I've already pre-selected. Mm-hmm. So if they come to me and say Peterborough works for me and the numbers work for them, I know this guy's going to bring it home really well and the client's going to be happy that you put me in touch with somebody really good. Nice. So, and that's the kind of level of like, you have to be prepared for this, right? So that you can yeah. delegate those leads safely in someone's hands, not just yeah. to gain 25%. If I don't know something, for example, if somebody comes to me and says, do you have somebody for London or whatnot? And I don't, I'll say I don't. Mm-hmm. I say, I don't work in London. I don't have anybody in London. Yeah, what I can yeah. do is I can help you create a strategy that works on paper and yeah. I can help you at the time of the deal to just maybe look at the deal. But it's probably better you find somebody who is in London, specializes yeah, works in, in that market. You have to have that's a lot agents of work by for niche. You. That's, that's a lot of work for you. And I get I get that like it's profitable. It makes sense to build up that that book of people that you know will crush with with. It's a clients. handful of yeah. people and they'll yeah. cover certain regions and that's yeah. good enough. Anything above and beyond that, I'd yeah. rather not be associated with a bad experience. Exactly. Then to yeah, make an extra because you don't want to refer out a bad experience. I that's why I'm very hesitant to get. Yeah. I, for how many years I've been on this podcast, like I barely recommend anything. <laughs> or yeah, anyone. you have to be careful, right? Because otherwise, yeah. you re- recommend and then it's a bad experience. Yeah. And everything that I'm sure you you say the same thing. Yeah. Everything that I'm telling you right now has been learned by a mistake. Right. I have made these mistakes yeah. where I've referred them 
quickly out of a Remax recommended book. And the client came to me and they said, like, you completely ruined my experience by recommending this agent to me. Yeah. I trusted you and you screwed And me. you learned by the mistake. Yeah. Same with the same GC, thing. same, same thing with the me. accountant. Yeah. Better not to recommend unless you're yeah. going to guarantee the result. Right, well, see, here's what I'll do. And I, I got a little lazy on this lately, but I shouldn't have. Um, actually, I think it's mostly because most of the people I would even suggest somebody to, they already get it. Like, I can't I can't say they're great. Like, for instance, somebody asked me, what account do you use? I'll tell them what account I use. They didn't ask if he was good. <laughs> and you know what? In fairness, like, so say for my U.S. accountant, he's the only U.S. accountant I've ever worked with. He, I mean, he gets you it done for me. You don't know the comparison. I he get gets it. it done for me. Like, I have no primary gripe. But that same guy who, for me, is perfectly Fantastic. fine. Might Somebody else could hate. Exactly. So I, for a while it's, there, it's I was like- It's a dangerous path to go down, for I, sure. For a while there, Especially I was like- your reputation yeah. is writing on it. I was like, I've had a perfectly fine experience with this guy, but you might hate him. Please just take that take right. that into consideration. <laughs> like, I'm like, I can't promise you'll yeah, like him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right. Not that I ever think that, like, uh, you know, he's done a great job for me. So I 100% yeah. agree and understand that, what yeah. you're saying right now. And it's important to put, even lawyers, like I, I recommend a lawyer, I have a fantastic lawyer. I know how he's gonna deliver, so no problem. He has yeah. a great lawyer for you and he's a real estate focused lawyer. Yeah. He'll help you with this. Yeah. And those recommendations then become very, uh, there's a lot of synergy in that, yeah. right? Because if the same lawyer that he's recommending, that I'm recommending to them is closing the deal for you, if there's something going wrong mm -hmm. on the deal, now you got two forces behind you that are backing you up yeah. on that closing to really represent you in the best way possible, yeah. including at the negotiation stage. Mm. Right, where you can just quickly call your lawyer friend who's you know been there in the business is yeah. competent. So a lot of synergies, but very careful tracking through get getting to those synergies. Yeah, and I have to have a tried and tested and guarantee the result of a recommendation if I'm making one. Otherwise, better just not to make it. I couldn't agree with you more about that. I I think you know there's been plenty of times I have people ask me for stuff all the time. I'm like, no, I don't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, do you know anybody? No, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I hear people work with this guy. I mean, I think it's just like like you said, you learn through growing and you just learn how to phrase things. Like somebody asks you, do you know that? I'm like. I never worked with them, but I hear people say stuff about or this give guy. Your disclosures, right? Yeah, yeah like, I always give the disclosure, like say, "Hey, you know, <laughs> you could give that guy a try." I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. Um, but it's like I, I look a lot at the expectations, and I think the natural thing, and you probably see it too, except for you work with a lot of people who come into you as leads for real estate. The people in my circles, I don't think they have those, those expectations anymore. Like, there's a lot of very sophisticated investors that kind of like they come out to the meetups, and you know, I think that once people get to a certain level in this game. Like they start to get it. They're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a big boy. Oh, I'll wear my big boy pants for sure. And yeah. even for investor yeah. events, like you know, I've been, I haven't been to many the, mm -hmm. this year or last year. I'd love to start getting out more, but again, it's the time, right? And whatever time you do get, you try to spend with family, yeah. you try to do whatever. And I'm constantly at a battle of trying to buy time back in my life, yeah, right? Because like once I buy some time and I can do a little bit more networking, I know the results will come out of that. Because these investor events, a lot of them selectively yeah. picked are great investor events, right? Yep. Just have been uh, bad at the attendance. It depends, yeah. Like I, I think, you know, especially for the one I created and that was a big part of what expanded my network is just getting the people who are listening to the podcast out so I could meet them. Um, the like-mindedness is is really there. So I really like that. For and sure. uh, yeah, you should come out to ours if you 100%. have an opportunity. I know it's a little bit of a trek for you, but not that No, far. not bad at all. Yeah. Burlington now, I'm very close to the QW. Another great factor about South Etobicoke, right? You're right oh, yeah. by the QW. Your location- It took me 34 like, minutes to get here. It's nothing. Your location's not even debatably awesome. Like, right. I mean, in, in terms of like- Logistics. Close yeah. to just everything. Yeah. Like you're you're close to the GO train. You're close to actual downtown Toronto if the traffic's minutes. not Never bad. think twice going yeah. downtown myself because I live right in South Etobicoke as well, right? Yeah. I don't think twice before going there. Yeah. That's why I've been, from a macro perspective and the fact that I'm heavily invested now, almost 18 out of my $25 million portfolio is in South Etobicoke. So I'm heavily invested in it myself mm. as well, right? So I just- I, well, I you like, used to be all over Toronto with your, your rentals, right? You were buying stuff. I guess you were, were you renovating so them? So I, I, there was a point that I was going back and I think there was a clip that we talked about what makes you think the saturation points have reached and what, what determines a saturation point for you. If a mm -hmm. property has reached a saturation point and you have a lot of equity in it, my mm -hmm. exit plan for that is to develop and sell. Yeah. Right. We're talking about. Okay. So you homes. were buying, yeah, old single family. A lot homes. Of those you were doing that back then too. That's right. So I yeah. sold a few. All of my portfolio in South, South Scarborough was sold before mm -hmm. I came to South Etobicoke. I was targeting a lot of the Woodbine Beach area yeah, and okay. those areas. 
three projects I did very successfully executed some bumps during COVID because I was happening in the middle of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, sold two, three projects, pulled out all my equity, reinvested yeah. heavily back into South Etobicoke and mixed use commercial. Um, and that sort of, again, ties back into like all the residential mm-hmm. inventory that I own. I'd rather not be a landlord of a single yeah. family or a duplex. I'd rather sell them, right. develop them and put them all as a large scale into either commercial or more development. Right. Yeah. The way I look at it now, I look at my time and I, you know, I used to acquire one property and then one property and then one property would be so slow. And, you know, I thought I had figured it out by the time, like, you know, I was doing this podcast or, you know, 2017, 2016, when I was getting into the student rentals and even still, I would look back and I like, I spent my year acquiring, you know, two, three good properties. Like that's too slow. It's slow. And, (laughs) and and now I look at it and I'm like, it is, it is about a bigger play. So I, I look at it more now as, there's an active income piece here. So there's the now money, there's the medium money and the long money. Yeah. And, and you got to cover all three of those bases. Exactly. And if you can cover all three of those bases, um, the now money is not so important as to how. I think the medium and long is the one that you're really going to care about because that's, and I've always been long minded, but I didn't always think enough about the now money. I exactly. just wanted like, ah, oh, I want to <laughs> be like that passive investor, don't have to do anything. And, um, I don't know. I think sometimes you just got to operate with a bit more fire. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you also have to be prepared, like the way the government, you know, if, for example, the liberals come into power on one more term after mm-hmm. this, like the next one, you have to prepare yourself. You have to prepare mm-hmm. where the, how the taxes are playing into the equation, how the uh, uh, imbalanced yeah. tribunal laws are yeah. going to play even further. And based on all of that, I'm just sort of gearing up to see that it's better to either stick to commercial leasing or residential yeah. development. Yeah. residential development tying into the fact that density is a requirement and housing is a need and oh, yeah, commercial yeah. leasing because it's a lot easier to continue with passive income with with less headache mm-hmm. well so as far as active income goes i think that those things make a lot of sense like development you're still going to be in like selling homes assuming people can still buy if you're not selling the homes then you know uh, to end buyers, you might be selling it to somebody who wants to come in as an investor and, and operate it. Yeah. And I think my pressure to sell will continue going down as it has, even though I'm doing like really good volume in the last few years. And I think it also selectively working with investors and developers and people who are looking for a home, but also want it to be a good investment. But what do you mean your pressure to sell? Like what, you're going to keep them? I thought you didn't want to be a landlord. No. So developer more, right? Yeah. So if I'm doing larger scale development and I have the money that I want to turn into a passive income stream, mm-hmm. I want to be a landlord for commercial properties. Gotcha. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. So I want to yeah. transition from residential landlord to commercial landlord okay. and residential developer. Makes a lot of sense. So with commercial, you don't have landlord tenant rules. You're, uh, you're in the wind then. Completely yeah. Different then it's, it's pure contract. It's Which, pure contract and it's, yeah. they don't pay your rent essentially to put you it in perspective for you. 10 days, you change your locks. That's the power I and, want. You're not paying your rent. You got to be out. And very simple. And in what world shouldn't that be the exact same case with residential? If you come in, like you didn't buy the house, you're the tenant. If, if you own the house, that's one thing. If you didn't buy the house, what right do you have to come in there, not pay and just sit there? Like and what happened to the day where people, two men make an agreement or a man and a woman make an agreement and stick to absolutely. it? Absolutely. And Andrew, yeah. this has been now picked up by a, ten, a lot of tenants. Tenants yeah. are starting to get educated on how much one-sided how lights they have yeah. and they're holding houses hostage. I just finished paying $13,000 for a tenant to just leave at the end of the term for for reasons that were within my rights to take over the house. I had a squatter living in one of my houses Mm -hmm. in which he entered the house with no lease, kicked out everybody because he threatened them. We called the police on them. Police is saying this is not a trespassing issue. This is a squatter issue and even squatters have rights in this country. I then (laughs) went and tried to the, uh, I applied to the landlord and tenant board. They said it's an eight month lease and eventually had to take matters into my own hand. I locked him out. I boarded the house, locked him out, threw his shit out. And I I told him, you go get a lawyer. I'm not getting a lawyer. You go sue me. Exactly. So this is what leads to that. Yeah. Right. And that hence, again, this, Mm. there's this hypothetical assumption that our tenant laws are going to make the world a better place. But what people don't understand is by discouraging the landlords, you're directly hurting supply. Yeah. By creating these vacancy tax laws and other laws, you're choking the person that's helping you yeah. with the problem that exists. Yeah. And number three, you're going to create more crime. You're going to create more yeah. problems within that industry to ultimately give this impression that you're helping, you're helping no one. And no, this is no. the stupidity but of the that's, situation. But uh, that's uh, like, I mean, I hope 
most people aren't under this illusion. Like that's what politicians in this country that's do. The all, all they do is tell you something that sounds good. But it's actually what it, worse. It's always inverted. Whatever they say, this is a bill to help create more Part supply. Agenda, yeah. It will it will create less supply. It's it terrible. will actually restrict supply. So everything they say, just assume it's inverted. This is good for you. Assume it's bad for you. Yeah. Uh, like as I, long I'm as you operate me, I with hold that, my tongue against yeah. a lot of things because yeah. I just don't want to get into the drama of it. No, and I don't, I don't either. And I like to stay positive. Like there was yeah. a time where I was speaking out a lot, specifically with lockdowns, that, forced injections, all that stuff. And I was just all extremely dog valid things you were saying Very too. Valid but it's points. just difficult to like go out there and get into the whole drama. Oh, and I was like batting darn near a thousand. <laughs> um, like you can go back. I, I recorded this video Point and somebody less, just, yeah. somebody just brought it up to me they're like i just watched this whole thing andrew bang on three years later so i went back and watched it it was at the beginning of the austin yay episode like 63 yeah and i just spat it out i'm like see here's what's going to happen this was like two weeks into the lockdown so i'm like here's what happens if you lock down an economy and give people money and i outlined everything that would happen That's to exactly the, to today happened. and it is exactly how it played out it's insane so anyways but the reason i stopped really harping on that was i felt like anyone who's following me who agreed with me was almost getting tired of hearing it. And I'm just like, okay, at that point, let's just focus on Pivot. what we can yeah. do, you know, building elsewhere, um, setting ourselves up to be free. We're doing something about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, sure. that's the big thing. Like, let's turn this into a positive, something. what can we do? So one thing I wanted to go through sure. uh, with you is just an idea, like give somebody, give us a little taste of what's possible, like a recent project you did, whether it's, you know, like the, taking the two lots, turning them into three, um, you know, let's go through some rough numbers. Sure. You have one in mind? Yeah, so I can actually tell you the same one because I'm very excited about that one. Um, okay, which, so, so re-describe it. Is this yeah. the three lots? Two yeah, lots so into three? Yeah, there's a property that I bought, which is uh, number four. Well, address important? No? Do not. Doesn't you don't matter. have to. Okay, so there's a, there's a property that I bought, a uh, 35-foot lot. It's a small bungalow. Yeah. And this is the same idea. I like to buy stuff that is not fully premium, so it's not an end-user house. It's like yeah. just in the middle where it's livable as well. Mm -hmm. Anything I buy, I want to make sure that you're getting rent as well to cover some level of cash flow. Livable now you, while you develop. Be yeah. Because it gives you the control of timing. Okay. Right? Because if you don't, if you have a house that you're just buying for land, mm -hmm. you're then tied into like, you have that meter on that you're pressure. Oh yeah, you're just burning. And I, that's always been my problem with development is that exactly. I don't like burning. We're all with limited funds here. We want to make sure projects are fruitful. So you want to buy something that also gives you some level of cash flow. So I bought a lot, 35 foot lot, small bungalow on it. Mm -hmm. I paid $950,000. Okay. So 950. Yes. And I knocked, and this was a 35 foot lot on a street full of 25 foot lots. And I, and my neighbor was a 40 foot lot. So there's two okay. driveways in the middle. Yeah. So I think there was something back in the day that there was a house either missed or the two owners decided to buy a house, build it on a 40 foot lot and a 35 foot lot. Okay. So obviously there was an opportunity that I saw that there was there that if I buy this 35 foot lot, eventually buy the 40 foot lot next to me. Then you got something. And that, so, 35 foot lot I actually bought in 2016 mm -hmm. and 2021, five years of nudging my neighbor, he finally decided to sell. So I bought the next foot, next door lot, a 40 foot lot for 1.2 million. So now my cost is somewhere in the 2.15 million for the two houses. Mm -hmm. And both houses are livable. Both houses are covering about 60 to 70% of the cash flow that's going yeah. on. Right. Okay. Now I managed over the span of one year to split the lots into three 25 foot lots because combined okay. a half 75. What did it cost you to do all that? About a hundred thousand dollars. Cost me less because I would get a planner, but for a person, he has to factor in the cost of a planner. It's yeah. unfair to say you're going to do it yourself, right? Yeah. So where did you spend the hundred? So architect studies, things like that. Yeah, so you have an architect, well, survey, number Sur one. Survey, but that's, the, that shouldn't be that much. No, Surveys the survey like is actually G's. complicated. You have yeah. to draw out the plans for the city not just from the perspective of what as exists, it is, but as it will exactly. be. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that survey is about like seven to $8,000 in just okay, survey. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, then you have an architect designer, a person mm -hmm. who's going to draft these three homes that propose. And you need to show them that to sub, uh, to subdivide? Absolutely. City wants an entire full package. Elevations. Elevations, Doesn't have to be site plan. No, elevations, site plan, not your drawings, not your construction drawings, but yeah. your drawings in yeah. terms of like just your yeah, concept Yeah, show the plan. front of the house, show the side of the house. Exactly. Yeah. You have to show your bedroom. You have to show your side yard. What if the, uh, the buyer down the road at the lot doesn't want to build what you you showed? Too bad. I'm going to sell them built. Oh, okay. But I mean, hypothetically, they could, you could sell the lot and they could build something right, else. Right, because uh, the lots only get registered when you when you do an RDAF submission and you also have your construction drawings with it. Hmm. So this process, unfortunately, the buyer can only do interior drawing distance. Oh, so they have changes. to From a zoning perspective, you cannot make changes after. Oh, okay. Which means how wide your house will be, 
how it's already how, how long your house will be and how tall your house will be yeah inside can inside be you can flex design okay. you can change okay right zoning you cannot change which is a side yard setback rear yard setback yeah. front yard yeah. setback height okay so but, I, but what i'm saying is like could they you know could they change it jog it in like you know change the jog facade it, if it doesn't yeah. create a variance yes okay so as long as it's within the building envelope exactly okay that's as long as within your approved envelope yeah like you, they might, you might uh, have a flat roof house in your design, but you know, somebody comes along, they, well, I want a pitch. No, you know, what because I mean? flat roof in itself is a different variance. Different variance. Yes, so yours are a not different flat height roof? allowance for a flat roof versus oh, a slope. Okay, roof. so you're doing slope flat, roof. Just for that example, no. But yeah. what they can do is they can take a wall in, they can change yeah, okay. the location so they of the can windows, bit, they yeah. can change yeah. different things. You can have okay. a deck instead of something else. So different things you can do, but just for that example, you can. Yeah. Okay. So, so your split costs are a hundred grand. So, so architects designing the houses. Um, I've also factored in parks and forestry submissions for number of trees you have your, 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 is there a dedication fee, like a parkland dedication? Yeah. Fee? So the funny thing is you have to have your complete drawings first submitted to planning mm -hmm. as a zoning review stage where before it goes to committee, where you have to get planning yeah. on board. Yeah. So there's a lot of consultation fee that you have to possibly pay a planner. Yeah. Planner is about 20K on this, yeah. right? Which I did myself in this case, but you have to factor that in as a cost. Yeah. Architects about 10 grand a house, let's say on a good mm -hmm. case scenario. So 30 to 35,000 on your architect fees. Yeah. 20 to 25K on a planner fees. Anytime you're splitting or not, you need somebody above and beyond an architect, somebody who has knowledge about the precedents and all the other stuff that we mentioned earlier, a planner. Yeah. Right? And there's tons of them in every single municipality that they specialize in. And you'll notice a lot of these planners who are well-priced, focus on certain areas. You can yeah. go to planning consultants or bigger companies, but they'll yeah. rape you because by the time they learn the zoning laws for you and come yeah, back. Yeah, they'll come back and learn it all. And yeah. you can get lawyers yeah. for larger projects, but yeah. it's this, you need a simple planner guy who knows local stuff. Mm -hmm. So your 100K will include your surveys, your architect drawings, your parks and forestry submissions, your um, your arborist reports, your you know, like uh, planning reports, all of that. Yeah, and so when you do your pre-consultation, they tell you all the things that they're gonna want. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and then, okay, so you're 100K into all that. Um, so that puts you about two, two, uh, two, 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 two five. five, let's yeah. say, right? And then yeah. once you split the lot, yeah. given the current valuation of this lot being south of Lakeshore, the third or fourth house from the lake, on the driveway, you can see the water, it mm -hmm. faces a park, just as a market valuation for these lots is about 1.1 each. So you already, created 902 million dollars by the approval stage of splitting those lots yeah see that's where like it gets good because then that's if you want to just check it out as a as a developer so so you're uh you're all in what do we have here uh for messing with my sheet here so 2250 and then you said you're 900 a lot 1.1 million a lot if oh, you were one, north yeah. of lakeshore you were 950 to a million this is 100k premium because you're yeah. private street close to the water and that's where again yeah. the conception stage was like yeah it took me five years to get to create that million dollars right yeah because you you worked on this well and plus you do so you said you're 70 percent covered on your your carrying costs while you wait um are these amortized mortgages yeah are they all like done commercials commercial mortgages simple or? residential single family home 80 percent how many can a you lender get? mortgage how many can you get of those? Like, I like mean, under my own personal name? Yeah. It's a joint venture. I'm oh, gonna, so you bring in a joint venture? I bring in a joint venture, a financing partner if I have to. But in this yeah. case, I bought it in 2016. So, you so had one of the houses, 100% my name. Yeah. Second house, I introduced a joint venture partner. Mm -hmm. As we split the three lots, it's by proportion. I own 76% of the project. He owns 24% of the project. Okay. Yeah. So say, like, say there's a million bucks on the table now. How much better is that if you build them? Okay, so that's why I want to build them and I'll tell you why. So each home finished. Yeah. And if you notice my Instagram, if you notice my background, half my day I spent is on design. I yeah. do like, you know, I want to do high-end designs, yeah. I promote designs, I get the best interior designers, my architect's fantastic. We pay a lot of attention to what creates premium in construction. Yeah. If a house essentially is selling on the same street with the same layout and zoning and, you know, the kind of size you have, the square footage you have, is selling for 2.2 to 2.3 million, I want to sell that house for 8 to 10% premium from that because of my design and marketing mm -hmm. and branding and the fact that I'm using a very good GC to do it. Yeah. Right? So let's say in a good case scenario or a bad case, like somewhere in the middle, you're selling each house after it's finished for 2.4 million each. Okay. So 2.4 times 3, yeah. 7.2 is yeah. your revenue. And the cost of construction Again, I'm not building these three homes. My GC is not building these three homes. We're building 10 at a time. 
within mm-hmm. his. And you're doing it for 300 a square foot, you said? I'm doing it probably less because these three houses next to each other, and we're also combining it with many other projects we're doing in the area. And, and so say you were 300 a square foot, which is already incredible for high end. Um, my total cost for these three homes that I've already factored in my hard costs and everything, I was just running these numbers uh, last week, is 2.25 construction of these three homes. Oh, really? Okay. So, my trade prices so your are only volume, locked in. Everything yeah, your is volume, volume is just... Is, is, is volume, time. Yeah. Plumber comes and like, how much is one house? He says 12. Like, how much is three houses? It's not 36. It's 28 yeah. or 27. Yeah, yeah. So my cost of construction for the three homes is 2.25. Nice. So my cost is somewhere in the 4.5. My revenue is about 7.2. But if yeah. you factor in today's pricing of land, yeah. you have to take 3.3, which is the, what the land is worth. Yeah. Plus, and you still there's use of a million dollars. That's yeah. why I also want to be part of that execution cost because I'm not even right. building. So there's an extra million bucks in it. There's an extra million bucks yeah. in it. And yeah. we pay so much attention to design and there's yeah. so much to learn in design. There's so much smart design for yeah. products. I'm spending half my day making sure yeah. that products are getting a premium. See, my experience like, working with an interior designer is like, oh my God, the costs go through the roof. Like what, what should be, you know, very affordable ends up, you know, 400 bucks a square foot. And yeah, to hear you say you're doing a, you know high-end designs in Toronto, well, Etobicoke, that's crazy. Take the economies of scale out of it, yeah. you're out of the business. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to work. You're, you're, the minute you are not scale thinking, and that's how developers make money, right? The condos yeah, and all these Yeah, they're guys. crushing huge volume. And I have realized the power of scaling yeah. mm-hmm. is the ultimate. If you're building one house at a time or you're some guy who's doing two houses yeah. at a time and you have no control over your GCs, yeah. Once you're scaling, you not only have better cost, but you also have control over the timing. Yeah. Because the power at which you were instructing people to show up on site and finish their work on time, yeah. they know there's eight other projects writing. If you get fired from one, you get fired from eight. Yeah, that's the power of, of, of having scaling. lots on the go. Yeah, people people know, and that that's what I had going on in London for a while there when I was just doing house after house. Like, yeah. People wanted to work with and me, the and fact it that helps. They're, the fact that they're rented right now, I will only execute like right now I'm planning for spring 2024 to start and you this. kick them out and then you knock them down kick them out knock them down and because you don't want a headache of students and they and students will not complain about the kind of stuff I'm renting both the houses out to Humber students nice which is right on Lakeshore so I don't want a tenant who's going to come and give me a headache at the time of leaving so selection yeah. of tenants is also Huge. tied into the end product oh yeah for sure well Man, we could we could go on. Yeah, and, know, uh, yeah. There's a, always lots we can we can talk about. I'm really, been an hour? Like yeah. Crazy. Oh man, <laughs> we're over already. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate this. Uh, so I'll tell people where they find you. Mink Real Estate Instagram. That's the only social media I can manage and have time for. But that's the best way to reach me. Just at Mink Real Estate. You'll see a lot of stuff for in the kind of investment properties I'm buying. A lot of construction content there. Yeah. There's a lot of like house porn in there. There's like you know cool design stuff. Best place to reach me, you know, anytime I'm on a podcast, we should do short clips there. So best place to reach me and a lot of content there. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let's not let it be three years before we do this again. Absolutely. Three or four. I don't know. Always a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. So we'll see you hopefully this summer for the golf tournament. Yeah. uh, I'm going to get my back strengthened for that after that last injury. But I love playing golf and I'll I'll be there for sure. Awesome. And then any any, um, closing words you want to share? Like, words of wisdom, the things you've learned along the way? I think the best takeaway from even having this conversation with you today is guys, create some time to just do nothing because that time is valuable. It will do creativity, focus on the big picture and push through the day-to-day problems. Don't just get bogged down by it because mm-hmm. every person who's even, who might seem from from the, you know, who's on the top, they deal with the day-to-day bullshit. The day-to-day bullshit is there as part of your end game and real estate is very rewarding. Talk to the right people and, you know, just focus on uh, don't let it stress you out too much because uh, at the end of the day, it's a stressful job, right? Yeah. So, um, but but there's good reward at the end and focus on scaling. Scaling is the best friend for this. Like as soon as you wake up, think about, am I doing everything today as bits and pieces that ties into my long-term plan? Right. Yeah. And that key thing, have that long-term plan, have that vision because if you don't, what are you working for? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate this. And uh, until again, until we meet again. Yeah, until we meet again. Thanks for having me, Andrew. There are a lot of people out there talking about the infinite banking strategy and whether or not it makes sense for them. To find out what it's all about and if it's a fit for you, visit controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines, where my audience can gain exclusive access to books, podcasts, and webinars tailor-made for real estate investors.